Um, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to encourage you to turn to the book of Romans. Romans, if you're new to the Bible at all, it's in the back of your book. You'll find it. It starts with an R. And that's, I think, like one of the only books besides Revelation. So, um, and that's not in the Bible. I'm just talking the New Testament, okay? I know there's Ruth and all that stuff. So, um, but while you turn there, just a little bit about me, because you're probably like, who is this jack wagon on stage or on the floor? And you're like, uh, we don't know anything about him. And so I've known Adam for about 34 years now. Um, we go way, way back. Um, I'm only 26. That's what's incredible about that. Um, no, I know, I've known Adam for a handful of years, and we've been able to partner, and Adam's incredible. You guys are blessed to have him. Um, but just a little bit about me. I am one of 11, okay? One of 11. At the age of three, I was adopted from a country called Moldova. Out of the 11 of us, nine of us are adopted, okay? So it was a buy one, get four free. I was one of those free. And so, uh, so large family, very, very diverse. Um, a, a fun fact about me, so you guys don't just stare the whole entire time, because one of you or many of you will figure out, I have four fingers on both hands, okay? So when I'm preaching, don't just look at me. Just look at my face, okay, because we already know that this is now a thing, okay? Um, so there's always a time where I'll like be at Starbucks or Messenger Coffee or something, and I'll be like working on something, and I can just feel somebody staring. And I want to just say, hey, you can take a picture. And so if you want a picture, you are free to do that. Um, no, so I'm one of 11. Um, I'm married um, to my incredible wife, Shelby. Um, she's not here right now. She'll be here tomorrow. Uh, she is the sweetest person you will ever meet. If there's anything good about me, um, because of her, it's because of her. So um, she's awesome. I have uh, two dogs. One is Waverly. She's kind of like a, a wolf, but like she's not at all. She's just kind of weird looking. Um, she was also adopted because nobody clearly wanted her, and so I did. And so she's like the fun, you know, weird, odd, really, yeah, weird one. And then we got a little golden retriever, very little, hasn't grown at all. I don't think she's going to grow anymore. Finley, super white, light, awesome, and she sometimes makes me super mad, like today. And so um, that's just a little bit about me. I've been in student ministry for about six years now, love it, um, and so I'm excited to be here. I'm actually, this is my second retreat this week, and so I am thrilled to be able just to, to bring the word. And so tonight, real quick, as we dive into Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, I'm going to let you know that we are hitting the ground running, Okay. Um, I'm not one to really just hear like light in the mood. We're just going to hit the ground running because we know that we have limited time during a retreat like this. I mean, it's tonight, it's tomorrow morning, tomorrow night. And so what I want to do is I want to hit the ground running and I want to begin to really shed some light on the things that we're wrestling with in the culture that we live in. And in fact, things that you all might actually be wrestling with as well. And so with that being said, um, it's revive. Man, that God would revive our hearts God would like radically change the way we think and the things that we love and the things that we desire to do. And, and one of those things um, to help revive our hearts and our desire to know Jesus is that we would actually know this Jesus. And so I titled the message, A Refuge Worth Trusting. A Refuge Worth Trusting, that to, start, to allow God to start reviving our hearts, we need to trust in the refuge that we run to. And so why do I say that? Because I think some of us, we've allowed things to happen to us, or, or things have happened to us, or we're actively a part of some things, and so we begin to question, um, hey God, what are you doing, or 
if you don't believe in this Jesus, you're then just questioning what is going on. And so for some of us, we've wrestled um, with, with mental health. Um, that's kind of a major thing that's going on in the culture that we live in. I think social media has helped that a little bit, but mental health um, has been a big thing. Anxiety and, and depression and, 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 and suicidal thoughts and all this. And, and so I think for some of us, we have friends who've wrestled with this maybe some family members who have wrestled with this, maybe some of us are wrestling with this. And so because of these things, we feel kind of lost and we feel overwhelmed and we're like, man, what is going on? And if you know anything about mental health, you know that you sometimes don't even understand it. You're just like, what is going on? And so when somebody says, hey, like when somebody were to say, hey, you don't get it, I would argue that you might not even get it. And so we live in a culture that is just swamped with people who struggle with mental health, who struggle with, with things like that. And then for others, it's self-identity. I think for some of us, or we know some people in our family or, or friend groups that wrestle with self-identity, gender, purpose, value. And because we wrestle with these things, we begin to question what, what, what's in it for me? What, what, what gets me out of this? Is there any purpose? Is there any value in my life? What, what do I do when, when I'm experiencing these things? And, and maybe some of it's because of something that's happened in our past or your friend's past or your, your parents' past, whatever's going on, but self-identity. And we're like, what do we run to in the middle of that? For others, it's abuse. For some of us, it's, it's mental or emotional or physical abuse. We've, we've wrestled with that, or we have some friends who have wrestled with that, or, or one day you will experience somebody who's wrestled with that. And, and these are things that our culture like, has allowed to happen. We, we, we understand that, that God did not design a world to allow these things to happen, but because of our sin nature, abuse and self-identity and, and mental health, we wrestle with these things. And so because of these things, we then begin to run to a refuge. And normally it isn't the person that is inviting us into a relationship with himself. For some of us, it's actually social media. Our refuge, our counterfeit refuge is social media. Well, maybe because I wrestle with self-identity or abuse or whatever or my friend does, I run to social media. That's where I kind of get my fix or that's where I run to so I don't have to think about anything else. Like, I can go to social media, and I have this platform, and, and it's about me, and I don't have to worry about anything else with the world. It's just about me. And the, or maybe TikTok or Snapchat or whatever the, the social media thing is, Pinterest, Google, we run to a, a counterfeit refuge hoping, well, maybe, maybe I'll be okay if I can just take some time in this. For others, it's relationships, friendships, dating, right? Family. Or we know people who have wrestled with these things, and because of it, they're attempting to find refuge in relationships. And so relationships, we know people are messy. You're messy. I'm messy. And so when we run to another messy person, things just get more messy, right? And so a refuge in, in somebody outside of Jesus isn't going to satisfy. But, but we run to a counterfeit refuge, hoping that we can be fixed. Others, it's comparison, I think this is a major one for a lot of us, even sitting in the room, people we know, that comparison, it's a mind game, that if we were to step into this room, you guys would always be able to find somebody worse than you, and that's what makes comparison so dangerous, 
because of self-identity or abuse or, or mental health or neglect or whatever thing that isn't stacked up here. It's easy to compare ourselves with somebody else and make ourselves feel better. And so that's maybe our refuge. Well, it's not a big deal because I'm not as bad as that guy or her, or I didn't do that at least. And then others, and this can go in the middle or in between, it's addiction. For some of us, our refuge, because of these things, we run to addiction. And you can read it, that, that we, we find satisfaction or a bit of relief with these things. That because of this, because of the world that we live in, because of our self-identity, our questions, we run to counterfeit refuge. And the reality is, is God did not intend us to run to these things. God never intended for these things to ever happen to us or for us to experience people who have experienced these things. In fact, he, he, he encourages us to actually run to a refuge worth trusting. And, and when you open your Bibles to Romans 8, we'll be in verses 31 through 39. What we're going to begin to find is this guy named Paul writes down, he pins down this letter and he's writing to Christians. Now, for some of you, you may know Jesus as Lord and Savior. For others, you're like, hey, I'm just going to be honest. This is my first time. I don't know if I know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he's really writing this for you too. That when we read this letter, we begin to realize that there is a refuge worth trusting in. That if you're taking notes, there's three things we're going to focus on. One, we're going to focus on a person in verses 31 through 35. We're going to focus on a place in verse 36. And we're going to focus on a power in verse 37 to 39. Now, again, while you write that, I'm going to define what a refuge is for you so you kind of have an idea of what we're, what we're talking about. The dictionary def defines a refuge as a shelter or protection from danger, trouble, or to take um, refuge from a storm. So refuge, really, it's, it's just something where, like, if a tornado were to hit, what do you run to? You run to some area that's going to keep you safe, until the storm passes. But the Hebrew word for refuge is chakah. And this is what I really want you to write down um, because there's so much value in this meaning. It means to flee for protection, to confide in, and if you could circle this one, to put one's trust in. That to find a refuge worth trusting in, we have to put our trust in this thing. And I would argue that everything you put your trust in outside of Christ will not satisfy. And so Paul, he's writing this letter. He's, he's jacked up about it. He's excited. And the goal, the whole value of Romans, this whole book, is the gospel. That he is going to shout the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done on the cross, what he did before the cross, what he's going to do after the cross, and the fact that we can find refuge in this man. But we can find refuge in these three things, a person, a place, and a power. And so that's what we're going to dive into. But before we dive into, I got one question. Who or what do you take refuge in? So you personally, what does blank take refuge in? Who or what do you take refuge in? And then my follow-up question would be this. How's that going for you? What or who do you take refuge in? And how is that going for you? So this is what Paul writes in, in verse 31 of chapter 8. He says this, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. So real quick, what Paul is doing is he's beginning to stamp something that is supernatural, that this God would send his only son to do something that you and I could never even do. He will, then he says, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the only one who justifies who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So Paul, he's writing this, and if you're taking notes, the first thing we can find refuge is, in a, is a person. And the person he is talking about is this Jesus. This Jesus in which we can find refuge in. Who is this Jesus? Well, actually, the whole New Testament defines this Jesus throughout every single book. In Matthew, he is our Messiah. In Mark, he is our servant king. In Luke, he is the great physician. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the risen Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, he is our righteousness. In Corinthians, he is our holiness. In Galatians, he is our justification. In Ephesians, he is our perfection, something that you and I are not. In Philippians, he is our provider. In Colossians, he is our hope, even in our darkest valleys. In Thessalonians, he is our coming king. In Timothy, he is our shepherd. In Titus, he is our rewarder. In Philemon, he is our encourager. In Hebrews, he is the high priest. In James, he is our wisdom. You and I get to seek wisdom from this Jesus. In Peter, he is our, our inheritance. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is our lover and our refuge. In Jude, he is our warrior. In Revelation, he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and end. So who is this Jesus? He is everything that we've ever needed. And so when, when uh, Adam is saying, hey, would God revive our hearts? Listen, God has, throughout, throughout all of creation, through Christ, said, this is the person that can revive our hearts. This is the one we can find refuge in. You can trust this Jesus, that this Jesus steps onto the scene. He pulls off the impossible. He does the unthinkable, that this God would send his only son, perfect, spotless, and he would trade a perfect record for an imperfect record, a winning record for a losing record, that you and I can find refuge in this Jesus. That if you know people who are wrestling with these things, if you currently are wrestling with these things, we don't have to run to these counterfeit refuge. That you and I can run to the person and the work of Christ. And so Paul, in verse 31 through 35, who can we run to in our refuge? What or who can we take refuge in? We can take refuge in Jesus Christ. And then he continues in verse 36. In 36, he writes this. As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Now you're probably like, what in the world is going on? It just took a massive, a massive turn. So what he's doing, is he's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting Psalm 44, 22. And he's reminding us as the reader that you and I, we will face opposition as believers. So newsflash, if you are not a believer... When you follow Jesus, you get to face opposition for his glory and for his good. 
that we will face opposition. Suffering is a promise, but it is also a reminder that God has not stopped pursuing us. His plan and His love and His purpose and value in our lives is still evident, and He still has a hope for His people. And so what Paul is saying in verse 36 is that we can find refuge in a person, but we can also find refuge in a place. And that place is God's word. That he's quoting the Bible to remind himself that refuge is found in the word of God. Now the word of God, it has 66 books. This, this Bible right here, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses. Every word that is in this book is inerrant. It is inspired. It has value. It is sufficient. It is authoritative. It is true. Every word pointing to one refuge, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of what Paul is writing down. That if we want God to revive our hearts, if a revival starts with us, it starts with us running to a refuge that holds us strong, even in the darkest valley, even in the strongest storm. And so we can find refuge in a person. We can find refuge in a place. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's this book, it's called Jeremiah. He's this, this old prophet. The dude is dead. Like he's dead as dead, okay? But he writes in, in chapter 15, verse 16, he says this. He says that your words were found and I ate them. Your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. For I bear your name, Lord God of armies. Question, have you found, have you discovered God's word? Like when you open this, does it become alive to you? Like do you find refuge in the fact that words that were written down thousands of years ago still remain true for your life today? Have you discovered the word of God? Do you get excited about the word of God? Two, have you eaten the word? Have you, de- have you devoured God's word? Are you constantly eating it up? Do you open it up in the morning or at night or in the middle of the day, whenever it is? And are you discovering it? Are you eating it? Are you reading it? Are you allowing God's word to soak into your heart and into your mind? If not, then, then what refuge are you running to? That if you want God to start a revival in your heart, if you want God to revive your heart for the first time or over and over and over again, it begins with the word that points to the refuge that Paul is writing about in Romans, Jesus Christ. And then do you find joy in this word? He writes, he says, your words became a delight to me and the joy of my heart. Do you find joy in God's word? Does God's word become alive to you? Do you read it and you're like, I'm not worthy of this, yet I can find a refuge in it. And I know I talk super quick, and I know that you're like, oh my gosh, what is going on? But there's something that Paul is pinning down in the book of Romans, and he's so adamant that we say, hey, we find refuge in nobody else but Jesus Christ. And the word of God actually backs it up, that the word of God points to the most, most loving person, and that's Jesus Christ. But he continues. So we can find refuge not just in Jesus, not just in a word that points to Jesus, but also in a power. And this is what he writes in verse 37. He says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him, Jesus, who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor, in, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason why Paul writes verse 37 through 38 with confidence is because the power, it's the Holy Spirit of a living God that lives inside of him. Do you have the Holy Spirit living and breathing and actively working inside of you? The same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead desires to live inside of you, to move your heart, to love you well, to provide a refuge for you. That Paul, he's writing this down, and he's like, guys, there's this person, and you can find refuge in him, even when you've wrestled with these things. You don't have to run to that. He says, there's this place that you can find refuge in. It's in God's word, and it points to this Jesus. And then there's this power that when you give your life over to Jesus, when you surrender your life, when you repent of your sin, when you turn away and you run to Jesus, there's this power that lives inside of you. That God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, provides power to sustain you in this life as you take and find refuge in Jesus. And then Paul pins this down with confidence because of the Spirit of God that lives inside of him. And so question, do you have this Holy Spirit living inside of you? That the whole theme of Romans is the gospel. And for some of you, you maybe have heard this, but others of you, you're like, honestly, I have no idea what that is. That the gospel, we simply put it as good news. That this Jesus, he steps onto the scene because of our brokenness. Now, if you're new to the Bible, again, we begin to see these 66 books, and it begins with Genesis. If you know what Genesis is, it's the book of beginnings, and God begins to create all of creation. And he's like, now that's good, and that's good, and that's good, and that's good. And then he's like, just a second, that's not good. And he realizes, well, man needs to be made. Well, he, he's already made Adam, and he's like, well, there's something that's missing. He needs a helper. And so he puts Adam to sleep. He takes the rib from Adam and he creates this woman named Eve. And in all of creation, it's living in perfect harmony. And Adam's like shouting out poems to this woman. He's like, you are good. And ah, this is awesome. And and everything is perfect. But then there's this evil one. His name's Satan. He comes as a serpent. He convinces Adam and Eve to eat of this fruit that they were not allowed to eat of. And he says, "Did, did God really tell you not to eat of that fruit? I think he's afraid that if you eat of it, you'll become like him. It's funny because the same way he lies to them is the same way he continues to lie to us. And that all of creation was cursed. Sin begins this consistent rhythm of chaos. And But what we begin to find is even in the book of Genesis, this king, this Jesus was foreshadowed. And so we find in Genesis, Jesus, let us make man in our own image image. We find Noah, that Noah is not the Jesus that we need to put our faith in. We see Job almost perfect, but not perfect. He can't get it done. Noah, he can't pull it off. But then in Matthew one twenty one, this angel becomes, comes before Mary, this, this girl, and he says, you are going to give birth to a son. You are going to name him Jesus, and listen, he will save his people. And the second that angel spoke, All of creation found a refuge that they get the choice to run to. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus lives this perfect life. He heals people. He feeds these people. 5,000 here, 20,000 there. It's incredible. He's living this awesome life. And then all of a sudden, this Jesus dies a horrific death, the death that you and I deserved on our cross. 
but yet he chooses to swap us out. And he puts your sin on that cross. He puts abuse on the cross. He puts self-identity on the cross. He puts mental health on the cross. He puts social media, relationship, comparison, addiction on the cross. And he says, listen, I've got you. And all you have to do is run to me. And Paul reminds us that the good news of the gospel is this, that we can put our faith in a person. We can be reminded of that person in his word. And when we choose to give our life over to Jesus, we have this Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us and gives us power to live on to the next day and to the next day, giving honor and all glory and power to this king. Listen, what or who do you take refuge in? What or who are you taking refuge in? And have you found refuge in this Jesus? I know that sounds like a lot, but this weekend is set up so that God would revive our hearts. And I have no idea what you guys have wrestled with. I have no idea what your home life looks like. I don't know what you're going through right now, what your mental health looks like, what you're wrestling with. But listen, there is a God that Paul writes down in the book of Romans that says, hey, come to me. Come to me and experience something you've never experienced before. Why? Because I want to revive what you cannot. What is dead, I will bring to life. What you have sinned against, listen, I can make new. So for students, middle school, guys, if you are wrestling with sin, you have the opportunity to repent, to turn to Jesus, and to give your life over to him. High school, same exact opportunity. And so who or what do you put your refuge in? And have you found refuge in this Jesus? Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that that Paul would be faithful to write these words inspired by you. That if there is a student here tonight who does not know you, would they find refuge in you because you desire to revive their hearts. You desire to revive a nation's heart for your glory and for our good. But it begins with us choosing to make a commitment and a decision to follow you for the first time. And so if there is a student who says, Joel, I'm, I'm terrified to be honest that I wrestle with these things. I'm terrified to tell somebody that I don't know if I know Jesus Would you give them the boldness to move forward tonight during this closing song and to make a decision to follow you, that they can find their leader, that they can pray with them, and that they can begin to ask questions? And would you give these leaders the right words to say? Ultimately tonight, would we find and take refuge in you, a person, Jesus Christ, and find that to be true in a place, your holy word, and then allow the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, to dwell inside of us so we can make a dent, just a small dent in your kingdom for your glory and for our good. It's your name we pray. Amen.